Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, you welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. This is Robert Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick. And it's Saturday. That means the vault door creaketh open and we bring you an older episode of the show. This one originally published on March 3rd, 2022. And it is a part one of our series on the seven day week. Why do we have seven day long weeks? And uh, where does that come from? What are the effects of it? Uh, so I, I recall the series being quite interesting. And uh, here you go with the beginning of it. <laughs> Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And Rob, today I wanted to start off by hitting you with one of my 10th grader thoughts. All Um, right, let's have it. What do you got? This is an idea I had in high school. I can't remember if I've ever talked about this with you or not. Uh, Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But anyway, I remember... Uh, when I was in sophomore year of high school, I was sitting in a U.S. history class, and I was suddenly hit with a notion. Uh, it was very much like a like a stoner thought, though. Of course, I was I was a very good boy, and I was I was very sober in class. But um, my thought was, wait a second, why do we think about history in terms of multiples of? 10 years. So in terms of decades and centuries and I guess millennia, but primarily decades and centuries, why are those like the units of time on which historical trends are judged to make sense or or be valid? And if we used a different base counting system, like if we didn't have 10 fingers and thus didn't count with base 10, would we think about history in a totally different way with different sort of groups of associations? If it was like, you know, on the the basis of 63-year periods or 18-year or periods or something like that? Yeah. Uh, like what, what would the 1970s be without 
without decades? You know, how would we think about that time period? What would be the, um, you know, the, the barriers to it? How would we package that up? And I guess I'm still prone to this kind of thinking because the idea that I started uh, getting getting really interested in like last week was another question basically along the same lines, which is like, how are we affected by the the time units that we use to organize our lives? And if those time units were actually different lengths of time, how different would our lives be? And this is going to lead into the, the subject that we're going to be looking at for the next couple of episodes, at least. Who knows how many we'll go to. But, uh, but Seven there will be- days worth of episodes. <laughs> Right. We're getting into the subject of the week. And I think this this one has a really interesting peg, because if you think about the major units of time that divide our lives from, say, like day length and above. So the day is, of course, 24 hours long, and it is roughly the time it takes the Earth to make one full rotation on its axis. Uh, but then you've also got the year. The year is, of course, you know, it's 365 days, and this is roughly the time it takes the Earth to make one full orbit around the sun. And then you've got the month, and the month also has an astronomical basis. This one a little more roughly than the other two. There, there's, a, there's a larger difference. But, you know, our months are roughly 30 days long, and it takes roughly 30 days for the moon to complete one full orbit around the Earth. I think it's like 29.53 days or something. And then, of course, we we make up for that with little adjustments, you know, different numbers of days and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And now this point is probably worth uh, remembering here for, for everybody that uh, most ancient calendars uh, were based on direct observation. So, uh, so yeah, it makes total sense that these, uh, you know, a lot of these ideas about how we should uh, divide out our time are based on what we're observing, say, in the night sky. Sure. And there are some where it's pretty much inevitable. I mean, like mm-hmm. you, you, we kind of can't help but organize ourselves around day lengths, right? Because right. like what time of day it is or time of night makes a dramatic difference on the way we interact with our environment because of things like temperature and light. So th- that's almost just totally imposed on us. We really have no choice but to live by days and nights. Uh, you could make the case that maybe months are different, but, uh, but you know, th- there's some natural... Uh, rhythms that come with the lunar cycle and uh, and and certainly there are things that come with the yearly cycle because of say like the rotations of harvests and and the seasons and stuff right but then we come to the week we look at look at the seven day week and if you look for the seven day week in the stars and the planets or the movement of the earth you come up with absolutely nothing uh, the closest I've seen is that some people have said, well, uh, the seven-day week is a fairly rough quarterly division of the lunar month. So if you take the length of a month and you divide it by four, that gets you close to seven days. That's like the closest uh, whole number. Uh, but but then again, like, why would you do that? Like, why would you not divide the month by five or divide the month by six or something else? So, so I don't think that the length of the week is really something that you can say naturally flows from anything that is physically true about the world. I think we'd have to say, though, there might be, you know, historical, cultural, religious reasons that feed into it. It's it's a somewhat arbitrary length. It's based on culture and it's a human invention. It's not just a, a uh, an approximation of something that's happening in the skies. 
Right, and, and I believe um, I believe all the evidence we we've looked at really backs that up. Uh, though it it's always worth remembering that if you stray too far into the the wilds of numerology, just about anything is possible, right? Uh, sure. The, I'm always reminded of the bit in um, I forget which Umberto Eco work it was. It might have been Foucault's Pendulum. It might have been one of his essays. Uh, perhaps you remember this, Joe, uh, where he's. Um, He's talking about like all, all the various numerology computations about the great pyramids and how mm. those you know numbers relate to other aspects of life. And the example was made that you can also torture the numbers enough regarding, uh, I want to say, a, a phone booth or something, uh, mm-hmm. you know, something far more mundane compared to the pyramids. But yeah, if you start getting wild with what numbers mean and, and so forth, then you can go crazy with that as well. Yeah, I think the way I'd put it is that if you look hard enough for patterns, you can find patterns in anything. And that includes numbers and like numerical Mm -hmm. relationships of, say, like the ratios of length and width of objects in the world or the length of different periods of time within one another and stuff. Yeah, I mean, you you can always find patterns if you look hard enough. And some people look really hard. Right. right. (laughs) But as far as meaningful patterns and meaningful connections. Yeah. uh, Yeah, I think I think almost all the evidence we're looking at here today and and the, the next episode uh, you know, comes back to the fact that yes, yeah, seven seems to be this thing that is not written in the in the heavens, and 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 isn't even like really written inside us either. Uh, but it's something that emerges uh, from other directions, which we'll get into. Right. So I I don't know that struck me as just like a really interesting fact that our lives are guided by this this seven day length of time that we organize our lives into these blocks of seven days and that so much of what we do is based on the the recurrence of those blocks and the timing of the days within those blocks and yet it's not a necessary fact of nature so what is the seven day week where does it come from uh how culturally unique or culturally universal is it um and what is it doing to us like how does it work on our brains and how does it changed the way we live. And it is hard to imagine, you know, certainly for us, it's hard to imagine living without the seven day week, uh, just because we're in it. It's kind of like trying to imagine uh, recent history without decades. It's like, it's just such a part of the fabric. It's this, this grid that we've, uh, we've, we've, uh, we've, we've laid across reality. And uh, it, it, it's just like, how, how would we function if we didn't have Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays? You can't take my Wednesdays away from me. <laughs> yeah, if we don't have the hump day, right? The, the magical right. hump day. That is the day where our victory over the week becomes uh, apparent. On Tuesday, I guess, you know, the, the, that it just seems impossible. Well, uh, so I want to say one of the first things I read on this subject uh, when, when I was first getting interested in it uh, last week, actually, was mm. an article in Eon Magazine by a uh, UC Berkeley professor of history named David Hinken, who has written on this subject, who has written on the, the artificiality of the week and its, and its cultural uh, precedents and effects. And he starts off this Eon article by mentioning something. So you may have noticed, I think especially like in 2020, but maybe more commonly over the last two years, a lot of kind of hack jokes on the internet uh, made, especially by the subset of people who had previously been working in an office, but then were lucky enough to be able to convert to working from home during the pandemic. And the joke was, nobody knows what day it is. Like, I, I, I can't keep track of days. Every day is the same. Uh, it's blurs day, is, is the yuck-yuck expression. 
Uh, and, and, and I noticed that this connects to things in some movies. Like, you remember there's a scene in the big Lebowski where, um, where I think Jeff Bridges landlord comes to him and is telling him what day something's <laughs> going to happen. Maybe it's when he's going to come see his dance recital or something. And, mm-hmm. uh, and he says what day it is. And, um, uh, and it's clear that, you know, uh, that the dude does not know what day of the week it is. And th- this is like a standard, uh, deployment of this observation about a person, uh, somebody who doesn't know what day of the week it is, is usually taken to be sort of disoriented or disconnected from society or maybe unproductive. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, you can make that argument for the dude, um, but, uh, I don't know for, for my own part, I would say there are rare moments perhaps during say vacation or travel where I might have mm. to remind myself what day it is. Uh, more commonly, however, I'll, I'll find that if there's a disruption in the week, it may momentarily feel like today is a different day. You know, like um, mm. if it's a Monday on a three-day weekend, then that Monday kind of feels like a Sunday. Yeah. But these feelings generally don't hold up to even halfway, you know, close scrutiny. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that immediately fades away. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, I... I you certainly encounter it in media and you hear people make jokes about it. But generally, I feel like the the calendar mindset is not far away. Well, I mean, the fact that people were like posting on Twitter about this often enough uh, in 2020 that it was a thing people – it was a trend people could observe seemed to mean something. And I think mm-hmm. the, the standard assumption, uh, the widely presumed explanation was that telecommuting was to blame. This is because, oh, well, now a larger percentage of people are telecommuting, but, you know, more people were telecommuting than had been before. And people who were freshly telecommuting uh, were were experiencing this, I don't know what day it is feeling as a result. But Hinken actually goes back against that and says that he doesn't see telecommuting as a, as a very good explanation for people's sense of the days blurring together. And I have to say, as, as somebody who often worked from home, uh, even before COVID, uh, th- that has never been my experience of telecommuting. And I, I also would be skeptical of that explanation. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, th- though, part of that might be that we're typically, I mean, I think we've always been part of a publication schedule. So, uh, you know, there's always uh, what day it is still matters, even if you're not in the office, at least in our line of work. Sure. Uh, but I would, I would think that would generally hold true with a, a lot of different professions. Yeah, and the point that Hinken makes, at least, is that uh, telecommuting really disrupts normal divisions of time within the day more than it does a- across the span of a week, right? So, like, it doesn't change usually which days of the week people were working. I mean, it might in some cases, but that's not generally understood to be how it worked. It would change, like, where you were working within the day. Um, and of course, nobody was complaining about like not knowing what hour of the day it was. And it's also interesting that the line was not, I don't know what day of the month it was. It was, I don't know what day of the week it is. Hmm. And ultimately, the explanation that he gives is that, quote, weekly counts are reinforced by the habits and rituals of other people. When those habits and rituals were radically obscured or altered in 2020, the week itself seemed to unravel. And I I think I agree here. This seems likely to me that for people who felt this way, like, I don't know what day of the week it is. 
I would suspect it probably had less to do with telecommuting and more to do with the disruption in schedules of other things that people would normally do at regular recurring times throughout the week. So maybe, for example, recurring social get-togethers or Mm -hmm. classes or religious gatherings or uh, going out to dinner on Saturday night or or things like that. People have pretty strong weekly rituals not everybody obviously but lots of people do and when when those things get interrupted i think that probably has a strong effect on reckoning with the cycle itself yeah i think that makes sense because obviously there are to to a certain degree uh, many people were able to transition uh these things into the like the zoom age uh they're able to uh, you know, do their game night online to to turn a you know a particular in person social hour into a virtual social hour. But in other cases, things simply uh, went away. Um, you know, av- after school um, practices and so forth. Uh, you know, in many cases, these just didn't happen for a year or more. You know, there's a totally different thing that I wonder about that uh, makes me wonder if if. Um confusing which day it is in the week has become maybe a little more common in recent years. And this would have nothing to do with the pandemic, but it would be um, shifts in patterns of media consumption Mm. uh, among people getting a lower percentage on average of their media from scheduled live broadcasts that are that occur at regular dates and days and times throughout a week like you know you know that the tv show that you like comes on at this time on this day and instead shifting uh towards more on-demand uh consumption of media or just algorithmically supplied media entertainment which is you know always there waiting for you and always on rather than scheduled at particular days and times hmm so that sounds like a, a a point in favor of uh, what are they calling it now appointment television uh, versus uh, <laughs> yeah. like uh, you know just a uh, binge streaming and so forth. Oh, finally uh, it's Friday and I can watch this trash I've been waiting on. <laughs> well, you know, growing up very much in the the, the TV age, I mean, I, I remember that feeling mm-hmm. that you know it's it's uh, it's Friday or Saturday night. You know exactly you know what. Uh, you know, what's going to be on television Sunday morning, you know, you know, what's going to be on then, Uh, you know, there's a different character to whatever is on TV. And if you did not have a clock and did not have access to clock time, you could tell if if you knew what you were doing, you'd know what time it was just based on what's happening on NBC or what's happening on TBS, uh, uh, what, what happens to be playing on MTV, that sort of thing. I'm not going to forget it Saturday because I know that la- that at 1 a.m. on the USA Network, I'm going to get to watch Friday the 13th Part 8. <laughs> well, th- this this is a, leads to an interesting question that um, I don't think uh, we did not, we certainly did not prepare to answer. Are there any franchises that have seven entries, like an even seven? Oh, and then they've said definitely no more ever. <laughs> right, right. We, <laughs> we, we need one for each day and that's it. Uh, I don't know. Are we at Transfer 7 yet? I've just looked it up. No, we're at Transfer 6. So one more and then we're good. Oh, okay. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting. Uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. 
Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, so another question comes up, though, from this, which is... um, Okay, so seven days is is not strictly speaking a a time period that we derive from astronomy or from anything physical that happens in the world around us. It seems to be a a cultural invention. Um, but but could it possibly be based in some other natural fact about the world other than say you know the moon or the sun or the earth? Could could a period of seven days somehow lie within biology? Yeah, I was wondering about this as well. You know, is, is there anything that might connect the idea of the seven-day week to the, the, the biological world, particularly to human biology? Mm-hmm. And I found a, an interesting and at times perplexing, at least to me, pa- uh, perplexing to me anyway, uh, a paper 
that was published in 2016 in the journal uh, Chronobiology International uh, by uh, Reinberg et al., titled Seven-Day Human Biological Rhythms, An Expedition in Search of Their Origin, Synchronization, Functional Advantage, Adaptive Value, and Clinical Relevance. This paper aims to look at the, quote, seven-day domain of the biological time structure with special reference to human beings. Okay, so it seems like they're investigating exactly the question we just raised. Like, could could there be any kind of rhythm within the body of things that tend to happen in cycles of seven days or so? Right. And, uh, and, you know, first of all, they they do say, this is from the conclusions, they state, quote, neither cosmic nor earth-born signals seem to be of sufficient strength to give rise to the seven-day rhythms of life forms of various degrees of complexity. All right, fair enough. That that matches up with what we've said so far, particularly as far as the heavens go. However, they also conclude that the evidence, quote, motivates us to hypothesize weekly rhythms are endogenous in origin. So in other words, these researchers still think that there is something about the power of seven that emerges from within us. So they admit that the seven-day biological cycle is a little studied, uh, but uh, and, but they, they, they make a point of saying, well, it does seem to factor into various organisms. And they cite a list of examples, including things like laboratory rats, domestic horses, and seemingly to some degree human beings. Though I should say that these examples, like, for example, with the horse, the example is a study on seven-day cycles in semen volume, sperm uh, motility, and spermatozoa concentration. Hmm. Uh, and not, not to say that all, all of them are sperm related, but, you know, it's, it's things related to, uh, you know, various processes inside a biological system. Well, I guess if it's domestic horses and animals living within uh, human environments, I would be a little curious whether any apparent seven-day cycles could somehow be based on something that's changing within their environment on the basis of human behavior, because humans live by seven-day cycles, or not yeah. all humans do, but mm-hmm. I, I'd imagine the the animals used in the study probably belong to humans that do. Right, and all scientists are humans. So, um, yeah, uh, this is definitely an area where I would I would love to read more on this topic and read uh, some you know some some work from other researchers as well. Um, I, I don't really know quite what to make of this paper because on one hand, I am not its intended audience, and I may be missing something uh, important in their uh, their arguments here. So that's always a, certainly a possibility. Uh, but I'm not sure how much stock I put in the concept that there is something about a seven-day time period that emerges within us. Uh, because for starters, I'm not sure it really lines up with the history that we're, we're going to be discussing in this episode and the next. Uh, you know, seven becomes the standard and it wins out over other models, but I, I'm not sure it's because it matched something inside us. I think there, there are other stronger um, arguments to be made for other factors. Well, I don't know. Maybe we can revisit this paper later if we uh, if we get some additional clarity on it. But but also maybe we can uh, trudge out of the swamp of confusion, but by focusing on something a little more understandable in the moment, which is the question of okay, just in 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 basic functional terms, what does the week actually do? What do we use the seven day week for? Uh, Hinken actually outlines four different things that he thinks the the seven day week does, and so I want to go through these with you, Rob. 
Okay, so the first one would be categorizing days into different types. So the week organizes time into blocks of two fundamental kinds of days, weekdays and weekends, with the main distinctions between the two being um, being the distinction between work and leisure and the distinction between mundane and sacred. Yeah, and you know, you see this reflect like even if if you were say someone who does not uh, work, maybe you're retired, or you have a, a particular work schedule that sets you apart from from many other people, um, you still see it reflected, say, in what sort of businesses are closed on the weekends, what mm-hmm. sort of businesses are are going to be swamped on the weekend, and therefore it's better to go on a weekday. So even if the cycles don't don't at first seem to uh, impact you personally, they still probably do, to some degree anyway. Exactly. So that's one thing we do. We, we sort days into different kinds of days. And there's usually mainly just two kinds, but you could imagine other schemes of, of sorting days into different sort of buckets like that. Beyond that, I would say uh, you could get more granular and, and go to the second category, which is day individuation. Because, of course, we have weekdays and weekends, but also each day of the week is its own fundamental thing. Uh, so we all, we know that Tuesdays are not exactly the same as Mondays, and Saturdays are not exactly the same as Sundays. So each day becomes a distinct concept with its own connotations. And of course, this can be highly individualized. You know, Friday for some people may be more of a celebration day, the beginning of the weekend. Others may see it as kind of a termination point for fulfilling work, you know, uh, may, maybe even an unwanted termination point, like, oh, I have to... I have to not work for two days. Um, Or others may see it as a crunch day. Like this is the day where everything that was stressful in the week is even more stressful and there's just not enough time in the day to get it done. You know, there are a million different variations on everything I just said. Uh, Again, uh, the the exact flavor of the day is going to vary from person to person, but they do end up having these separate flavors, these separate feels, even though the only thing different, you know, the, the only difference between a Monday and a Tuesday is just how they relate to each other and to the rest of the calendar system. Right. I was actually looking for scientific studies uh, about how people feel about different days of the week, and I found one. Uh, so I found a study published in uh, PLOS One in 2015 by David A. Ellis, Richard Wiseman, and Rob Jenkins called Mental Representations of Weekdays. I was uh, so, I was sure you were going to say this was a study by Garfield uh, at all. I thought it was a joke. <laughs> I thought you were setting me up, but it's a real study. Okay, go for it. Well, this study would suggest to Garfield that he is not alone. Uh, his 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 feelings are borne out in the broader population. Uh, so it was conducted by three psychologists in the UK, and they were trying to draw out trends in how people conceptualize each of the days of the week uh, as its own idea and how people react to those those ideas. This used sampling tools over the internet because, of course, the, the weekly accounting schedule is going to be somewhat culturally contingent. I was looking, okay, well, where are the people who were answering these studies? It seems the majority of respondents appear to be based in, uh, in North America and Europe. So in the first study, they were looking at uh, which days do people get confused about? You know, when somebody's like, oh, I thought it was one day, but it's actually another. Th- this might not be surprising, but they found that people were actually much more likely to confuse midweek days, meaning Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday uh, for different days than they were to confuse other days for the wrong day. So you're way more likely to to 
think it's the wrong day when it's a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday than when, say, it's a Friday or a Monday. Second study looked at reaction times to see how quickly people could answer what day of the week it is. That's a good question, right? Uh, And they found that people's reaction times were fastest on Monday and Friday. So that would tend to suggest that Mondays and Fridays are the days when what day of the week it is is most highly represented in your brain. You're the most conscious of it and can answer immediately. Yeah, I mean, basically it comes down, are things beginning, are things ending, or are we somewhere in the middle? Right. Which uh, it's interesting to think about that because we have such a linear um, understanding of time. You know, mm-hmm. we we have such a narrative approach to understanding our own lives. It it makes sense that that would relate to the to the work week as well, or just the week in general. Like each week is a little story with a beginning and an ending, and also this middle bit, uh, which might be a bit muddled. Right. Right. And speaking of muddling, in in the third study, they also found that uh, participants had the least semantic associations, meaning they were able to come up with the the fewest number of connotations and thoughts about the midweek days. Once again, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, other days of the week, like Monday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, people could come up with more thoughts about. Mm Mm-hmm. Another thing they looked at was affective norms, how people feel when asked to think about individual days of the week. Uh, Again, this might not be surprising at all, but it does validate the Garfield experience because it turns out everyone hates Mondays. People (laughs) feel strongly negative about Mondays. People feel strongly positive about Fridays. And then basically the other days in between appear to be graded on slopes toward those two extremes. So people are highest on a Friday, and then it goes down a little bit on Saturday, then more on Sunday. Monday's the lowest, and then starting on Tuesday, it starts to climb up again to get until it gets to Friday. Hmm. Well, I, yeah, I don't know if I have much uh, personal to relate on that. I, I, I feel like you can sort of find something nice to say about any given day. Uh, if you're lucky, uh, you know, or if you look hard enough, mm-hmm. but that's just my take. Well, I feel like that's one of those studies where that didn't really have any surprises in store, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, it's, it's sort of what you would think, but it does at least put some data behind those intuitions that, yeah, like w- for us, like Fridays and Mondays are definitely more of a phenomenon than, than Tuesdays or Wednesdays are. And we also have the correspondingly the strongest feelings about those days. And I would, you know, I think there are probably pretty obvious reasons for that. I would be very surprised if the answer were not that it has something to do with the work week. People like being done with work for the week, and people do not like having to go back to work for the week. Now, uh, it's interesting to think back on the the song uh, Friday I'm in Love by The Cure, because if, if I remember correctly, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he has anything nice to say about any of the days of the week, except for Friday, yeah. uh, the, the day that he is in love. Oh, you know, I just looked up the lyrics and the way you explain it makes a lot more sense than how these were uh, represented in my head. Because I always thought it was that Tuesday's great and Wednesday, too. And <laughs> that was a strange thing to say. Like, he, like he's just trying to be nice. You know, he's like, I don't want to say bad things about Tuesday. Tuesday's great. Wednesday's Tuesday's fine. Great. <laughs> <laughs> that would, uh, yeah, that would, that would be, I guess, a, a different song. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, Thursday, like, I don't care about you. <laughs> Oh, that would be a different cycle entirely because it's like Monday he's blue, but then yeah, Tuesday he's over it, and Wednesday everything's going fine. Thursday he's so detached from the situation, but then he falls back in love again on uh-huh. Friday and begins the cycle once more. <clears throat> I still don't entirely understand the song, but it's a great song. Wait, wait, but but I want to come back to Hinkins' ideas about what the the week does for us. So we already talked about uh, the the 
categorization of types of days. You've got weekdays and weekends, and then you've got the individuation of each day. But then the next thing, I think this is a really important one. I would call it like time conceptualization. Uh, this is for mental time travel and for what Hinken calls stock taking. So one thing weeks do is that they give us blocks of time, blocks of seven days, along which to organize our memories and our anticipation of the near future. And this absolutely makes sense to me because I, I know I do this. I would say that for me, you know, the, the the general present time, I think I represent mentally as about two weeks past and two weeks ahead. And I think of them as weeks. Yeah, I, I can relate to this as well. Like if, if someone says, what are you doing 10 days from now? I might not have initially have an answer. But if if it's if the question is, what are you doing Friday after next? Well, then mm-hmm. I have a little more to go on. Like that's a little more concrete and formed in my mind. In fact, it's almost kind of a, a mnemonic device because if somebody says, hey, what have you been up to recently? I might often be kind of like, uh, I don't know. You know, I can't think of what to say. But if someone says, what have you done this week? Somehow that kind of spurs an answer more easily. Yeah, it's like, well, I was just generally kind of depressed. And then um, and then I totally forgot about the person I was in love with. And then I fell in love with him again. Oh, yeah, on Friday. Week. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but so by by Hinken's uh, scheme, that's three things the week does. And then finally, uh, it functions as a scheduling device. This might be the most practical of all three, uh, Mm -hmm. which is that recurring events that need to happen roughly on the order of once every seven days become, of course, weekly events. So think about all the different kinds of things. You know, there are tons of things like this in life that feel right to do roughly once every week. And so you might schedule them with a day in the week. You know that Tuesday is the day every week when you do X. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, like with us, it's the grocery shopping. It's, the, uh, it's the, the cleaning of the house. These are things that are done on a weekly basis. And it would feel weird if we didn't do them. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed a hundred thousand miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official no one's got a ride like this there's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... Well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, in some in this episode, but then I think also probably in, in at least the next episode, we're going to be talking about the origins of the week as we know it. And saying where the week came from is a little bit complicated because it depends on, uh, for one thing, w- what counts as a week. Are you saying like our current continuous unbroken cycle of seven day weeks? Where did that come from? Or like where does the concept of uh, grouping uh, blocks of days into you know roughly seven, but you know w- w- would would an eight day block also count as a week and and so forth? Um, yeah, and, and there are plenty of examples of things like that going way back in time. But Hinkin argues that the history of our current system of seven day weeks goes back roughly two thousand years. Uh, there are obviously er- earlier traditions that feed into it. Uh, But he writes that there were seven-day cycles used for various religious and cultural purposes beforehand. But in the first century CE in Rome, this is the earliest evidence we have of, quote, any society using such cycles to track time in the form of a common calendar. So in the first century Roman Empire, the seven-day week that we currently use grew out of a combination of of the Roman astrological uh, organization of days. So you have seven days for seven planets or gods. And if you think about that, there were seven things that could be called planets. They're not all actually planets, but uh, but seven you know moving bodies in the sky that are not just stars that were known by Romans because you could see them with the naked eye. So that was, if you count them up, the, the moon, the sun, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, and that makes seven. Yeah, that's that's the best case I think one can make for an uh, an observation based astronomical uh, reason for a seven day system but or then seven even, anything system. Yeah, <laughs> in that case, it wouldn't actually be seven days. It's just the number seven being yeah. something from astronomy. Yeah. But then also, so you got that, but then it would be combining with Jewish observance of the Sabbath, the traditional practice of having a day of rest every seven days in accordance with the creation narrative in Genesis. Uh, 
during which uh, during which it said in Genesis that God created the heavens and the earth over the course of six days, and then he rested on the seventh. Though, you know, when I was uh, thinking about this, it actually raised an interesting uh, history of religions question, which is, I don't know if there's any, any evidence which, which actually came first, the six-day creation narrative or the practice of having a day of rest. That's a great question. I was reading about it in the background of some distinctive values in the Hebrew Bible by Cyrus H. Gordon. Uh, he wrote that there were, there were two different explanations of the Sabbath. Uh, in Exodus, it was the seventh day of rest after the six days of creation, uh, as we've already mentioned. But in the book of Deuteronomy, quote, the Sabbath is said to commemorate the exodus from Egypt. Israel must never forget that God saved them from slavery, and therefore the Israelites must always provide a day of rest for the entire community, slaves included. Oh, that's interesting. So those are, but those are both passages about the institution of the Sabbath day, because those are in the the, mm-hmm. the laws of Moses, right? So like the one in Exodus would be during the Decalogue, during the Ten Commandments that says you should honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Um, and, and that's an interesting reminder that the narrative in Genesis about the creation of the world actually doesn't lay out a, a practice. You know, it's just the story on which the, it is later invoked to say that you should keep the Sabbath day. Right. Uh, he also uh, mentions that the background of the biblical Sabbath is the Sumero-Akkadian system of lucky and unlucky days. So there are days when it is advised to work and others where it is not. And this is something uh, we'll see uh, in the future when we look at other calendar systems as well, the idea that there's a certain amount of divination in a calendar system. It's about, uh, it's sometimes, and in fact, it's sometimes specifically about knowing what days uh, are appropriate for beginning various ventures and so forth. Okay, but so whether you are going with uh, with the the Jewish example or with the uh, the possibly related ancient Mesopotamian example, uh, this would have something like a week that has that has days within it that are set aside for some kind of religious reason. Yeah, Gordon, however, uh, drives home that quote rituals are primary, and the historical or mythological explanations come later. Furthermore, uh, he says that the significance of the Sabbath tradition doesn't depend on what informed it, but rather on how it is reflected upon and then mythologi- uh, then, then you know crafted into mythology. Um, yeah, which I think is an important thing to, to keep in mind that like not everything is just this perfect linear system. It's like, well, we established this. And this is the connection it has to our religion or our mythology. Sometimes, you know, I mean, very often we're taking things that are that have been absorbed and, and are practiced, and then we're creating the reasons uh, for right. Those and uh, yeah, totally. And a lot. This is a common opinion I've encountered among a lot of scholars of religion and cultural anthropologists: the idea that when there is a myth or story that corresponds to a ritual and says, this is why we do the ritual. It's often believed that actually probably the ritual was done before the the myth was there. Yeah. Of course, we, you know, we can't know that in every case because a lot of times there's just no way to decide for sure one way or another, but yeah, it does seem like that happens a lot. But on the other hand, I mean, if you're imagining what kinds of origins something like a week could have, and again, here we would be talking about a week in the broader sense, not necessarily like our system of of seven days, um, but like a blocks of days of, you know, some manageable length that subdivide the month. 
Um, uh, you could imagine totally different, even totally practical or economic considerations that could lead to the creation of things like that. Yeah, and in and in this we come to the idea of the market week, um, which which I realize is also I think the name of various um, like media uh, shows about uh, like the, the economies and so forth, uh, which is which is kind of uh, funny when you when you when you look at this basic idea uh, of the market week. So. Um, I'm going to cite several different authors here, but uh, one of the first places I turn to is I, I turn to uh, Brian M. Fagan, uh, who has uh, written a lot about um, about ancient history and about ancient technologies. And uh, I was reading a chapter that he wrote in The 70 Great Inventions of the Ancient World, uh, a book that I refer back to uh, a lot. And this is a, a chapter that he wrote with the author Anthony F. Uh, Avani author of Empires of Time, Clocks, Calendars, and Culture. And in that, they, they state that the period of the week, be it a seven-day week or an eight-day week or even a 10-day week, is, quote, a good measure of the time it takes to harvest a manageable load of fruits and vegetables, take them to market, dispense them before they over-ripen, and then return to the field for another round. This is so interesting because I was wondering about I was like, could it possibly be that the that any origins of a week or week like institution could be related to the freshness of food? I mean, mm-hmm. and that that would still be reflected in like how often people typically go grocery shopping. Yeah, and and there, there seems to be a, a very strong case to be made for this. Uh, I've, I've I've come across several sources that uh, explore this at length. Um, now, Fagan and uh, Avini write that this market week was likely shifted down to seven days, probably from like eight days uh, uh, or, or more, during the first millennium BCE uh, in uh, the Sumerian world in order to, quote, accommodate heavenly connections. Um, so we can imagine what that would be, again, just very loosely speaking, uh, you know, thinking of uh, astronomical significance of the number seven. And if you already have a market week that is eight days, then, you know, maybe you just ratchet it down to seven. And uh, also they, they write that seven, uh, seven does have, uh, have, have a few different connections. Uh, you know, there's the number of visible planets plus the sun and moon, as we discussed. Uh, also, roughly the interval between quarter phases of the moon. Uh, but uh, Vini writes in Empires of Time that the eight-day work week was ultimately, uh, quote, of unknown origin, uh, though uh, still cites the market week idea. Though I've, I've also seen the eight-day work week cited as an Etruscan um, invention of perhaps the 7th and 8th centuries BCE. According to Eviatar Zerubbabel in The Seven-Day Circle, uh, the evolution of the week generally coincides with the rise of market economies. So weekly market cycles uh, ended up emerging in human activity. Um, again, this is you know the time it takes to to have uh, uh, fruits and vegetables come in from the field, make it to market, and then you get back to to the fields again. Uh, but they they didn't have to be seven days long. Obviously, um, uh, Zerubbabel points to three day market weeks in ancient Mesoamerica and Indochina, a ten day market week in ancient Peru, and of course uh, there's also this twelve day market week in ancient southern China. And he says that this um, this Chinese twelve day 
week is a, quote, classic example of a weekly cycle that served to regulate economic transactions. And uh, I was reading about this in uh, the seven-day circle, and if I'm understanding it correctly, this encompassed uh, multiple three-day market cycles and six-day market cycles as well. Um, and that's something you see with several of these examples of different week systems, before, certainly before the seven-day um, week that we think of now uh, was fully adopted. You would often have different week cycles or what you might categorize as a week uh, coexisting with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you still see that to a certain extent in parts of the world, as we'll discuss. Now, Zerubbabel writes that during the 8th or 7th centuries BCE, the eight-day market evolved uh, in what is now Italy, an an Etruscan, quote, time reckoning system based on the number eight. And it revolved around a periodic market day that was held regularly every eight days. And of course, this Etruscan system is going to be key because it coincides with and feeds into the Roman system, which we've already alluded to. Mm -hmm. So in our next episode of the podcast, we'll jump back in with uh, the Etruscan system and the Roman use of the the Etruscan system and and continue to build up from there. There's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. Mm -hmm. I mean, even just the the market week stuff I found particularly um, uh, fascinating. Yeah, and I've got a great paper that we can get into about the Roman origins of the of the seven day week that we use today. But we can also talk about uh, some really cool cultural variations of, mm-hmm. of different kinds of weeks and about some of the psychological effects of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so this we is will your be... brain on Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode is a Thursday episode, and we're going to be back with a Tuesday episode. Oh boy! Um, yeah, I remember there was a time speaking of days where we, we, we used to think it was it was just completely inappropriate to have a part one on a Thursday and a part two on the following Tuesday. And I don't know, maybe maybe some listeners think it's inappropriate still. Uh, but Generally, listeners have informed us that they don't care. So thanks. Right. Thanks, everybody. But, <laughs> but going back to that sort of linear system and linear thinking regarding the week, it was kind of like, no, things must begin and end within the same week. Otherwise, uh-huh. like what? It's like you're just cutting it in half. We have like one uh, disembodied slab of episode on one side of the week, and it is just like the and the, the, the magician's blade falls on Sunday evening. Oh. But obviously, that's not the case. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we'll we'll be back in the next episode. But we would love to hear from everyone out there because I know everyone everyone has thoughts on the days of the week, uh, you know, days that are good, days that are bad, days that, that have their own particular energy about them, the things that, that define these days for us. And, uh, and yeah, also the, the occasional experience of maybe forgetting what day it is or feeling like the day you were in is surely not a Friday. Surely this is a Thursday because it feels like a Thursday. So join us next time. Uh, in the meantime, uh, well, here's how he, how we divide up the week usually. Uh, on Mondays, uh, we do listener mail. On Tuesdays, core episode of Stuff to Blow Your Mind. Wednesday, Artifact or Monster Fact. Thursday, another core episode of Stuff to Blow Your Mind. Friday, Weird House Cinema. That's that's the day that we're in love uh, with a strange <laughs> film. And then Saturday, well, that is a day where we bust out a vault episode, which is a rerun. And then on Sunday, uh, well, then that is the day we rest. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com.
Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.